Welcome to the Mind Your Body podcast, episode number 19. This is your host, Jacob Andre, and today I'm talking to Living Ambassador, Alistair Mitchell. So if you want to know more about how to overcome drug addiction and mental illness and discover the best you, stay tuned. Hi, I'm Jacob Andre, and for over a decade, I've trained everyone from children to elite athletes to move better, feel better, and perform better. While a thorough understanding of fitness and nutrition is vital, underpinning that is mindset. And I've come to discover just how important it is. I've worked with literally thousands of people, and more often than not, it's the ones who win the mind game who succeed in the big game. So, how do they do it? This is the Mind Your Body Podcast. G'day and welcome to the show. My name is Jacob Andre. This is the Mind Your Body Podcast. And today I'd like to welcome to the show Alistair Mitchell. So Alistair, welcome. G'day, Jacob. How are you, mate? Very, very good. How are you? Oh, mate, I'm uh, I'm going quite well, actually. Yeah, going uh, going good. Loving Darwin. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's very good. So as a lot of the listeners will know, this is the third in a four-part series on men's health. Uh, we spoke to Jackson Clark last week who um, did the Kick in the Stigma project and is an advocate for mental health and uh, does a lot of work with Livin, who you're involved with. Tell us a little bit about Livin. Okay, yeah, um, Livin is a uh, not-for-profit charity that was uh, established to combat um, the stigma uh, to mental illness and to raise awareness for suicide prevention. Um, we use educational programs, uh, a social media platform, running community events, um, some some pretty cool sort of streetwise fashion, um, and just to you know begin conversations and create uh, probably a, a greater understanding or positive interpretation about mental illness. Mm, yeah, I saw some of the stuff online um, talking about like a a walk, which I think is still coming up. Um, I don't think you've had it yet. Later this yeah, month. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did a. Uh, we've done a couple of them um, where we just encourage people to get together. It was called the Walk and Talk. So it was um, about. We've done one, um, and we're hoping that we'll try to get some more momentum on that in the coming months. It's probably a little bit tough right now with people um, being that it's so humid with the build-up um there's not that many people that are super keen to get outside uh but yeah look it's about starting conversations and people people feeling comfortable with like-minded or uh those who are understanding of you know typical things that happen in our lives that we can sometimes think people don't understand or we're too scared to talk about because of stigma Mm, yeah so what are some of the things that you hear come up the most Look, most of the time, uh, there's a lot of things that you can have. Say, for instance, people will have, you know, you feel down or tense or angry or anxious. They have, they're normal emotions, um, but when they they become and they, they happen for a persistent long period, you know, that they don't sort of go away, um, the things like, you know, oh, I've just been tired, lethargic, I don't want to get up, I've just work's been dragging me down, um, Every time I try to do something, it's just not right. There's all the whole of negative self-talk, all that type of stuff. It just weighs you down and gets on top of you. Um, and, yeah, sometimes people just can't see a way out of that. 
and they need a little bit of a, you know, just a pat on the bum or a pat on the shoulder and say, hey, listen, I'm here. It's okay. You know, we all go through this. I'll help support you. Mm. So what led you into becoming an ambassador for Livin? Uh, okay, so oh, look, about um, oh, two and a half years ago, I was in a pretty dark sort of place. Um, I had uh, been battling um, for many, many years unknowingly the um, the stresses of um, anxiety and depression. I just I didn't quite know why I was in a funk, why I was always, you know, really angry all the time. Um, and what I did, I started self-medicating with, with alcohol and then uh, struggled into a life of a bit of a vortex into drugs. Um, and that became a very, very deep habit, which then led to money troubles, which then led to me, you know, having to then take a life of being able to deal drugs and all that type of stuff. So I really, like, it was a, a never-ending vortex that I couldn't really get out of. Um, and, you know, when you self-medicate with that type of stuff, people don't understand that the come down makes it worse. So, the, you know, the, the pressure of the, the, the drug's great at the time to make you feel happy, um, but after it, it makes you feel worse and it just amplifies things and multiplies it and makes it feel twice as bad as what it really should have been, um, got to the point where I actually tried to take my own life. Um, and after that, I, uh, I was sort of confronted by these demons. I, I admitted it to my wife and I started a little bit of a, a journey for myself and said, right, that day I, I quit drugs, quit alcohol, quit smoking, quit, you know, all the toxic things were in my life um, and said I was going to make a change. Um, so I actually got myself a life coach, which... I highly recommend to, uh, to everyone out there if you if you you know the, in business or anything like that someone as a as a confidant or a you know a mentor or something like that a big brother or whatever is a really really good asset to have behind you and I had a mate who was a life coach that gave me a bit of a hand and then um, I had a chat with Livin and was talking about you know what I was going through and they said look you know we'd We've watched, I was doing a weekly blog. We've watched it, we think it's great. Um, we'd like you to come on board and help us out. Would you be interested? So then uh, I think it was the day I <laughs> I went in to meet them and it was the same day that uh, Chris Hemsworth w- wore a living hoodie on the set of, of Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, they sold a year's worth of hoodies in one day. Oh, Right now, that just shows the power of celebrity or social media, and it went nuts. So, they only had a couple of ambassadors at the time, and they needed more help. So, I went and did a health and wellness coaching course. Uh, I went and did my mental health first aid, and now I spend my time. Obviously, I you know have a day to day job in a uh, in the caravan park industry, but. In my spare time, I go out and I talk at schools. I go to places like um, just recently I went to Sanderson School for the Clontar Foundation and, you know, talk to some of the students there and been to Catherine, um, yeah, all this type of stuff where I can actually um, help kids, particularly with the, with the education programs, about 
what mental illness does, how it affects you, how it's easy to be able to ask for help than it is to be able to carry the load of that burden of, of the stigma or the, the mental illness. Well, um, congratulations, first of all, on getting yourself into the position uh, which it sounds like you're at right now. Can I ask, when you said you decided to give up the alcohol, drugs, was that all in one day? Did that Was that just cold turkey? Yeah. Congratulations. That is amazing. I know my grandmother, she smoked cigarettes from the age she was seven. Um, she would pick up her dad's cigarette butts and would just smoke the last little part of it until mm. she was um, in her early 50s and the doctor told her she was not going to... Um, live to see her grandchildren grow up and she walked out of that uh, doctor's office and um, or clinic and threw the cigarettes in the bin and didn't smoke ever again um, mm. so and, and I know like I, I think for some people that's if there's something there's that one thing that just motivates them to do something like that just give up an addiction immediately uh, for many yeah. people that's really really difficult uh, I know both my parents smoke cigarettes and um, they've tried to give up multiple times. I don't think really deep down they want to. Uh, maybe they haven't found the right motivation or whatever it might be. Um, you know, but like, I'm just so intrigued by that. Is that what it was for you? Was it just, what was the motivation that just allowed you to so, give that up immediately? Well, they, I suppose the night before, so when I'd actually, because I'd, what I used to do was when I wanted to, to, um, to get high, I would create a circumstance um, or an excuse to have a, and I'd create an argument with my wife and I'd storm out and I'd get in the car and I'd drive off. Now, that was just a whole facade to be able to go and get drugs. Mm. I'd go and get drugs and I'd get high. Now, um, what had actually happened, I'd got to the point where I knew I couldn't go home. I was, you know, I was basically way too high. I was um, been drinking and I was just, out of control I'd picked a, a spot on a bridge that I was going to actually drive off um, and this is pretty confronting and um, I apologise for people a bit, uh, if they find it upsetting um, but what had happened was my phone is actually attached to Bluetooth in my car and as I was driving to the point where I was going to go off my phone went the Bluetooth went off in the car and I couldn't stop it from answering and my wife was on the phone um, distracted me enough that I went past the point of where I was going to drive off this bridge. So I pulled up and she talked me down. She asked me what was wrong. She said, it doesn't matter what's wrong, just come home. I sat there for the next few hours with her um, and she consoled me. And she said, look, there's nothing too hard, too deep that we can't fight together for. And um, it was really inspiring. And I just said, well, that's it. Um you know, she said, you've got two great kids from you know, from my previous marriage. You've got all this stuff that you've got to live for. Why would you give that up? Um, and I sort of had the reality check that I needed. And she, she said, I'm here with you and I'll support you 100%. So I just said, right, that's it today. So I went on. The one thing I needed was accountability. And that's the really hard part because the easiest person to lie to is to yourself. You know, I'll start tomorrow or, oh, that's all right, just one won't hurt. I I'll, won't I'll have it today. And I'll, 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 you know, it's like the gym, you know, mm. sign up. I'll go tomorrow. Never go. So because I came out on social media and I made a big, massive statement about it, I said, as of today, I have done. And I just went, bang, bang, bang and, and told the world. 
Um, and I had a whole heap of mates say, my God, you're an idiot. Um, uh, and a lot of people that said, we didn't know. If we'd have known, we would have helped you. Um, and that gave me motivation to keep pushing. Um, and my my daughter, she she's a little bit older. She's 12, She was uh, 11 at the time. She's 13 now. Um, and she said to me at the time, um, you know, Daddy, it's good to see that you, you seem happy. What's happening? Like you're, you're bouncing around. And it sort of made me realise how bad I must have been for her to notice that. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, now it's like, wow, we just every time we, we get up, we, we bounce out of bed, we go and do stuff. Um, I'm inspired and motivated to go to the gym. Um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I was actually pretty much overweight. I was about 107 kilos. I got down to about 85 after quitting all the other stuff. Um, and, you know, got fit and healthy. I did a... Uh, did a fundraiser at our park here in Darwin and I was doing a treadmill challenge and I just said to people, look, you know, we'll get a hike of gyms, we'll get you to come out and we'll do a treadmill and see how far we can all run and raise some money. And one of the treadmills was free for the day, so I got on it myself and I ran 63 k's. <laughs> um, and I hadn't run over 2 k's in about, I reckon, probably 15 years. <laughs> 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 but I wanted to prove to people that the mental, our mental ability or our ability to endure will overcome any physical fatigue. Our, our brain can fight through so much more and our, than what our bodies actually, what we think our bodies can handle. It's quite incredible. Yeah, that's really insightful. Can I ask, do you believe in fate? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so- yeah, well, it's different. When I'll, I'll put a twist on that. I believe we get what we put out. So if we have a situation where I want to get a positive outcome, if I have a negative, if I have a negative approach to it, it won't happen. Um, and that's just if, if that's fate. Um, if there's a higher power of what we do, the power of positive thought or the power of positive thinking of a vision um, is absolutely paramount in our life. Mm, yeah, it's, it's I. Laugh to myself when you said that because this has been coming up a lot in my own life and I've been talking about it a lot more. We actually spoke about it on um, the radio show on the weekend, um, just gone balls and all, where we're talking about manifestation. Yep. And um, for for me, there's been some big, big things that have occurred in my life where I've said, "All right, then I want to see this. You know, like prove it to me." And it's it's happened. And every time I've gone out and had this positive mindset and tried to attract something into my life. It, it's occurred and it's just unbelievable and I'm starting to now believe um, as there's some more and more research coming out that your thinking your thoughts actually affect your physical body and so as you think something consciously it slips down into your unconscious mind that just ends up you know that doesn't know the difference between positive and negative it just takes it as fact and mm. it sets about making that the case and you either go looking for it you know in the um in the example of you're going to go and buy yourself a Ferrari and then all of a sudden you go and start seeing Ferraris everywhere um, or yeah. don't think of a blue tree. The first thing you think of is a blue tree. So your subconscious mind doesn't recognize, obviously, you know, the, the do or the don't. Um, it just sees a blue tree. And I think the more you think something, the more that starts to show up in your life. And it sounds like that's what you're saying. But I'm really believing now that you can actually physically change your body at a cellular level from your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Look, there's, there, you know, we um, gut health is is 
paramount to all of us. And I, you know, what we put in, you know, say for instance, if you're going to go and race a, like we talk about a Ferrari or whatever, um, you're not going to put bad petrol in it. You're going to put good petrol in it. And as soon as you start doing that, um, the body starts to react in a way that's like, hang on, I'm getting positive fuel, positive energy, positive mindset. It starts to do positive things. Um, if I don't necessarily think that, you know, thinking skinny makes you skinny, but I do think that if you think and you uh, are doing things in a, in a positive way, that, yes, your body, your life, everything around you reacts in that positive mindset. Um, I have a, a little bit of a, a thing that I talk about with, particularly with students when I go to education programs and stuff, that there's a reason why when we drive our car that the windscreen of the car is so big because that's our future. That's, a, that's what's ahead of us. Mm. It's this massive big screen of life. And then there's this small rearview mirror. And that's just small because we have to learn from That's just the smallest parts we learn from to create that big future. Um, you know, we if, we if we look at life through a tiny little mirror or a tiny little window, that's what we will get. If we look through it in a big one, then the world is your oyster. It's only what you want to achieve uh, will happen. Oh, that's, that's real. I love that. That is really, really cool. So take me back. I like to hear people's backgrounds and we've heard mm. a little bit of your background uh, more recently. What was life like for you as a child growing up? So yeah, I grew up in a small country town in uh, country Victoria and expectation of oh, what you perceive um, is completely different sometimes of what's actually in reality. So um, I thought that I, uh, you know, played footy. Um, I thought you had to be the best footballer you could be. You had to be tough. You had to. I watched all these heroes as I grew up. You know, they um, all drink and smoke, and they're out there playing footy and they're fighting. And I thought that's what I had to be to succeed. Um, so I'm a fairly competitive person, and I like to do things at the most extreme you can possibly do them. So. You know, I went to the extreme levels and um, to my own detriment, I suppose, you know, I was um, a very good athlete. I could, you know, uh, run 111 dead. Um, I could, you know, do a whole heap of stuff in, in athletics and football and everything like that. But um, my attitude just wasn't there. And as life went on, you know, I would think oh, all I would do is just live to play footy, get drunk on the weekend um, smoke a pack of cigarettes and then just sort of live aimlessly through that life. Um, lived on a farm and, and did all those different things. And uh, yeah, as I grew up through that, I watched my brothers, you know, all these other sporting idols. And the simplest of things that you picture, and when we talk about picturing what's ahead of us, how many times in life have we seen someone or a, a celebration on a on a dais, or someone's received a medal and they pop the champagne or they skull the beer and all those type of things? We associate success with those things and, and then they manifest back. So that's what happened to me. I just basically started to do everything in excess. Um, as I went through life, doing you know from farming and we went then moved to the gold coast and we we lived in high rises and, and managed high rise resorts and um it was when i had my the, the birth of my second child um carter he was he was born uh, with autism 
and that's what the tipping edge for me was when I realised that I had issues because that's when my drinking started to absolutely multiply everything else because I couldn't handle that my son wasn't going to follow in my footsteps when now all I look at this young kid who's who's an amazing young man, um, you know, he's, he's 11 years old, he's just on the weekend, I watched him do nippers for the first time and it's incredible watching him do the surf life-saving with, you know, he's a challenged young man and, and has to endure things that some other people will never have to do but the strength he has because he can't understand is incredible. I, I, I'm in awe of him, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's quite different. Um, but look, that you know, the life that I had was not too dissimilar to anyone else. I just put this weight of expectation on myself that I didn't have to. So, what? So it sounds like everything was going along really well. Was there a particular moment when things started to change, or was it a series of things? It's a series, mate. Yeah. Look, to be honest, and you know, I, when I. I felt after Carter had been born and after the autism thing, I thought there was something missing. So I went back to football again and I started playing footy and, you know, I started um, hanging out with all the young guys and I couldn't work out why they were all having this wow of a time and drinking and I couldn't keep up and I was, you know, I then found, and I don't know the circumstance or, like, it's just one night at a club and I got given a, an ecstasy pill and that was it. From that point on, everything went drinking, drugs, smoking, drugs, drinking, drugs, and it just kept going in that vortex. So um, once I hit it, it was like a spiral that I just could not get out of. Uh, I don't think people really – there's some people who have the power to be able to say, oh, yeah, I'm not you – know, I can quit tomorrow or I don't need that. Um, but by God, it's, it's – once you're in it, and it's so hard to get out of. Mm, yeah. Do um. So on that, what's your take on what do you say when you're out talk, speaking to people, particularly teenagers and kids, about drug education? You know, like, you know, that one time you took that ecstasy tablet, and then yeah. it's it probably. Do you believe it was that one tablet which kick-started everything or was it just do you believe that because of everything else that was kind of like the the gateway, I suppose, yeah, that, opening up? I think I didn't because, yeah, I didn't know that I was suffering from these um, mental demons and it was that I made me feel good. I was like, oh, wow, so I'm not, you know, feel good. I felt it, it was the self-medicating start of it. Um, and, I, yeah, I'd been like... I had to do a little bit of therapy with my son because of that sort of emotion. I felt like I needed to see someone and it was all a bunch of, I was actually lying and lying to myself. But that, the drug, and, and to put it this way, I had, it was a $10,000 a month cocaine habit. Like it wasn't just a small drug habit, it was a vicious habit. It had gone from that one little ecstasy pill right through. Um, to this day, I thank myself that I never tried something like ice or heroin or anything like that um, because I don't know whether I would have been able to get myself out of that. That's my addictive nature. Um, the, uh, I suppose, yeah, look, it, it was a whole heap of things all at once and that, that 
that one circumstance just sort of led to a little trail in, into a bigger trail, and then all of a sudden it just kept man, mul- uh, multiplying like a snowball. Mm. And so how long has it been now since you've been clean? Uh, so, yeah, two years. Um, and, you know, the there was a stage there. The first 12 months we did – I did a 12-month challenge where I did um, no drinking, and I, I had – um, after the 12 months, I th- went back to having a couple of drinks um, just to see if I could beat it. And I went away on a trip to Hawaii and I could actually feel like it was becoming comfortable again, that I could actually easily have two or three or four or more. Um, and I got back, I went to a um, <laughs> went to a Bucks party and it was sort of like the ghost of Christmas past was coming back to haunt me. Um, and I just went, that's it. I'm not, I, I don't want to drink anymore. I don't want to be that person I was. So I just said, I'm not going to drink anymore. Done. Um, and, you know, ever since then, I my office, um, when we have people that stay at our resort or a caravan park, we they leave alcohol behind in their cabins. So that actually gets stored in my office and it gets sits on a shelf right beside me. Um, right now I could probably have there's about oh, 10 boxes of beer sitting beside me right now um, and that's just a, sort of like a motivation tool look at that and say yeah I don't need that um, the the part with the, the drugs and all that sort of stuff talking to kids about those demons and those the, the, the devil that's inside that pill um, yeah, it's a very hard thing for them to grasp sometimes. But when I tell them about how, you know, it was, I was so close to not being here to be able to tell this story. Sometimes that hits home. Um, yeah, it's it's a very it's a very personal journey for someone to be able to find a reason to stop. Yeah, you mentioned Sanderson Middle School and doing some talk talks there. I worked there for yeah. seven years, um, teaching initially mm. health and PE, and then moving into a bunch of other subjects. Um, but it was a very good experience. I really liked that school and, uh, and I liked that cohort of kids. Um, but yeah. as part of that, you talked about mental health first aid. Um, that's not something yes. I've heard a lot about. What is that? So mental health first aid is um, being able to assist someone in a crisis or understanding and recognising the signs and symptoms. So uh, you can do a first aid course um, and, you know, go and do your bronze medallion and all that type of stuff, which which I have done. Um, but mental health first aid focuses on the um, all the different types of mental illness, um, and they range from, you know, anxiety, depression, self-harm, um, anorexia, bulimia, all those types of things, and they're all in that one little box. Um, being a, But being able to assist someone in that crisis and being able to recognize it straight away uh, ask the tough questions that have to be asked because people will say that uh, you shouldn't ask someone if they're um if they're suicidal because it'll make them suicidal well how do we know if they are or aren't you have to ask the question um to be able to help them and to be able to save them so we knowing the right way to approach someone knowing the right words to use um being able to comfort them you know, there's there's people say things like if, uh, say, for instance, you're suffering from a, you know, oh, it's on your head, mate, get over it, you'll be right, toughen up or man up or, um, 
you know, don't cry, don't be a girl, that type of stuff. Um, those things that that, that can be a, a another sword in the you know in the in the body to that person to say, oh shit, you know they're they're getting down again. Um, you want them to be able to have confidence that you're there to support them. You want to speak to them in a positive manner and give them strategies or ways of bringing them away from their crisis or helping them along and taking them to a, a, doc, a doctor, a GP or a clinic or whatever. Yes. What's your take on people who might be feeling like they've got a mental illness and they're really struggling um, with, say, depression or anxiety or suicidal mm. thoughts and then they think to themselves, what have I got to be depressed about? I've got you know all this stuff going for me. I've got kids or you know, like I've got a good job. I've got a house. I've roof over my head. I've got food. And then they start feeling guilty for having those thoughts, or maybe people are feeding those thoughts to them. Like, uh, what's your take on that? It's mm, interesting. Um, I suppose look, mental illness doesn't discriminate, and it doesn't it, it doesn't decide who it affects. And I don't think anyone should really ever feel that's part of that stigma, that guilt. You know, they should never feel that way that they're carrying that burden. If anything. Um, that's, it's probably the hardest part for someone to physically recognise that. That's really difficult. Um, being able to ask someone for help is probably the most important part. But, jeez, I'd, I'd really feel like I'd, you know, for people to understand that, that, that it's okay, that it's not um, – there's no reason to, to feel guilt or shame about what you have if you've worked hard for it or whatever you've, you've gone through – of course, there's going to be people in life that have things that don't, um, that, you know, geez, I, I drove out the back of our park yesterday and there was a, um, a caravan out in the bush with no power and a couple of guys sitting there and I just, I can't own their guilt. Um, I can only own my life and what I do uh, and and do the best for me. And, and when I concentrate on the best version of me, everything else seems to take care of itself around that. So if I'm looking after myself, that then looks after my kids, that then looks after their social life, which makes them happy, which then steamrolls onto another person. So if anything, if I'm worried about and looking after myself and being the happiest version of myself, everything else will take care of itself around that. What does um, looking after yourself mean to you? Mm. Oh, well, <laughs> basically having... Um, Giving myself time, you know. I, I, there's an interesting one. I, so a lot of people practice uh, mindfulness and, and yoga and go to the gym and work out and all that type of stuff. Um, I had I've been going to the gym and I, I haven't gone to the gym for a, a good couple of months now because I've been so busy with work and it's been an excuse. Um, but I have been in turn watching what I've been eating, trying not to put too many bad things into my body. As soon as I eat bad, I've it affects my mental health straight away. Absolutely no doubt about it. If I eat badly or I um, have a couple of weeks of just not, I suppose, being mindful of my own self, then all of a sudden I, the, the, the negative self-talk starts to drift back in. I start to feel down. I'm not as chipper or angry. I'm, I'm sort of a bit of a bear with a sore head, as, as, as they would say. Um, but, yeah, food liquid, putting good stuff in makes the good stuff come out 
Yeah, I've seen some of your videos uh, on social media of you working out at a, um, a local gym in the city and you were very, very brightly coloured. So <laughs> I, was there something behind that? Was there a reason for that or is that just your personality? Uh, look, there was a couple of times. So we did a on a there was a couple of times at the gym I rocked up and they um I had this gear and and I was I started a, a bit of a um a little event called Fluoro Friday. So I'd make sure everyone in the gym, right? Every all, when we come to gym on uh, Friday mornings, we're all going to get in our fluoro gear. Um, and I sort of wanted to make a statement around it to say, well, doesn't matter who we are, how tough we are, how strong we are how manly or, or, or whatever we are, we can do whatever we want and be comfortable in our own skin. I actually turned up to the gym that day wearing my wife's Hawaiian leggings, <laughs> um, floral leggings, one of her crop tops and a hat. And all the people in the gym just went, what the hell? <laughs> I said, you know what? It doesn't make me a different person. I'm still the same Alistair. I'm still the same guy. I'm just having fun. And I'm taking the mickey out of myself. Let's all not take ourselves so seriously, for God's sake. Let's have fun. And, you know, um, everyone in the gym had a laugh, but then all of a sudden the next week people started turning up in fluoro. So it was like, <laughs> righto, let's do fluoro Friday. Have you seen that video on YouTube of the crazy dancing guy and it's in regards to leadership? Uh, no. Oh, well, you have to look that up. Just go, uh, okay. type into YouTube, um, crazy dancing guy. Um, and if you need anything else, he's, you know, type in on a hill or... Okay. in regards to leadership or whatever but they're at a rave I don't know where it is and um, they're on this hill and this one guy just starts getting up and dancing really crazy oh, I have seen that yes yeah, and everyone you. goes and dances with him yeah so then it talks yeah. you through it in way, the way leadership works and then the second guy gets up and he's kind of like the support and then everyone else gets up yeah yeah That's the freedom of being able to lose your inhibitions and not be judged is um it's an amazing, it's an amazing sensation to feel like, hang on, uh, some people could be really embarrassed by it, but look, I've got no drama with it. I'll put the leggings on again and I'll cruise down the street and people look at me going, oh my God, how look at this guy. <laughs> but the fun and the smile, and if you're sitting there and you're, and you're putting out a good vibe, everyone's going, man, I, I want what he's having, you know, <laughs> I want him. All right, and now, you, yeah, this is really that, interesting that, me now because... You're now talking about that, that. I would say that takes enormous confidence to be able to go and do that. I'd love to be able to do that. And there's been plenty of times when I've dressed up as a woman and danced on stage at school or whatever as a student and as a teacher, and I've done crazy things. But I don't think I would walk through the street wearing really bright, colourful, floral clothing. Like, do you think that's confidence <laughs> or is that crazy? Um. I think it's confidence in your own skin, absolutely. I think it's the comfort, being able to not uh, not worry about judgment. Now, we can talk about all that type of stuff and everyone sits there and wonders why we all have these things that control us. More often than not, it is just your ego. And if we go back to the teachings of people like Buddha and things like that, when you check ego and when ego has does not control your life, you have the happy life. Um, we have a, a case where, you know, and that's that same thing about mental health. The stigma is about ego. Why do we yell and put other people down? To make ourselves feel better. 
Um, it's our ego talking all the time. If you're able to just walk through life and put the light on someone else or help someone else be happy, it's an amazing self-confidence. It gives you happiness. You don't have to share that with the world. Um, you know, I, I I sit there in the mornings. I actually practice a, a little um, session of mindfulness every day when I have my shower in the morning. And what I do is I actually try and catch a drop of water and follow it from the top of my head to my toes to try and do it like a body scan. And when I get out, I feel completely at ease and relaxed. And at that point in time, I know that there's nothing, there's no pretentiousness, there's no egotism, there's nothing there for me to walk out into the day. I'm fresh as a brand new vessel ready to attack and go, have fun. How do you do that? So how do you, while you're in the shower, are you trying to just find one? uh, So what I do is turn, turn the tap on really slowly and as the water hits my head, I try to follow the water as it follows down my body. So it's like a... It's not like it's not not a trance as such, but when we do um, when you practice mindfulness, um, you, they do what's called an inner body scan, and you're following your breath, you're feeling the sensations of you know air over your body or your skin or water or the touch of the ground or the weight of um, the the air coming through from your from your nasal passage down through your throat into your chest cavity, expanding that, all those little things. So mine is my own personal one where I get in the shower and I try and follow my this water across my body so that I feel every part of my body. Um, and when you concentrate on that for a period of time, you don't have to worry about any other thought. Mm. You're just concentrating on that one thought and it just cent- it centres my mind. It gives me a bit of peace and quiet, makes my mind slow down and lets me focus. And when I get out, I do feel refreshed, ready to go. Yeah, yeah. So just going back to the confidence thing of, um, you know, going out and just being yourself, because I yep. feel like this relates a little bit to what's quite topical in Australia at the moment with um, marriage equality and yes. the resounding, you know, two thirds of people voting yes to it. I've, I'm going to put my hand up. I said I've voted yes. I, I think that I, I would love to see my f- friends who are transgender, gay, lesbian, um, by, you know, yep. be able to get married. And... I feel like there's probably a lot of people out there, particularly more teenagers, but there's probably still adults out there that are really nervous about putting themselves out there. And that's essentially what you're doing um, when you rock up to the gym like that. You're putting yourself out there. Yeah. How do you how do you get that confidence to be able to do that? It's a really interesting thing. I think I I would probably say to you that years ago I wouldn't have done it because I would have been scared of the judgment or the the um the yeah the, that sort of ridicule or the the, the focus on me. Um, oh, it's a really tough one. It's a real personal journey. I don't. You, you've obviously got to have a sense of yourself to be able to know yourself so well that um, you don't you, you take away fear. Fear can be a really big motivator for us. Fear, you know, like the fear of loss drives you to win. Um, and sometimes, you know, the fear of, okay, geez, I'm, this is really scary, this is really scary, but I'm going to do it. And the buzz, the adrenaline rush of actually completing and doing that task is incredible. Once you get addicted to that, that completion or that overcoming the fear or overcoming your ego or overcoming the judgment, 
it keeps going. It's it, it, like again, we, you, what you see happens if you sit there and put it out there that this is going to be fun. It will be fun, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, walk along and wave, and people laugh at you or whatever. How many times have we done it when we're um, you see the Bucks do's, you know, the guy gets dressed up in all the crazy kit and they take him out to a pub and, and all that type of stuff. The only reason he's done it is because he's had a few drinks and he loses inhibition. He loses fear. He loses the the, the challenge. It's, it's okay. So being able to do it without anything in your body, there's an adrenaline rush. There is a completion of it. It's, it, yeah, the excitement, the whole thing, it's, it's really – um, it's it's a drug in itself, mm. and I think partly too the fact that usually he's got his mates there, kind of egging him on and supporting yeah. him, and I think that group support is massive. And you know, like if for like a teenage um, teenager who's looking to come out for the first time, if they know yeah. they've got that support from family, then it you know if they believe that support is there, one hundred percent, you know. Um, unconditional, then they yeah. it's so much easier to do so. So I think you know that certainly plays a big role in it as well. That group support, fear holds us back so much. I think we don't really understand how much we can actually overcome once we lose that fear. You know, the uh, coming out to talk to people and and whatever you, whatever the case is, particularly you know if we talk about the the LGBTI community that they're sitting there and that the fear of judgment, um, being able to surround yourself with a supportive group, being able to be open and honest and talk about it, the, re- the release of that, you know, when I first talked about when I lost um, and went off with, and told everyone about the drugs and the alcohol and everything, the actual load shift and the loss of the weight that was on me was incredible. You know, you go to a gym, you can pick up a weight and you can put it down, you can walk away from it, but you can't pick up and put down mental illness. You can't pick up and put down whether I'm gay or straight. It's there with you and you carry that load. But if you share it, the share, yeah, sharing is so important and it helps others, helps carry you, helps, gives you life. It's, a, it's an incredible sensation. I'm glad you brought that up again because I wanted to talk about this earlier and the conversation shifted, but I want to just talk about, you know, because you hear some people say, don't go and, like your goals, don't go and put your goals up, you know, make it public, you know, because you can be ridiculed or whatever, don't put them out there. Um, and then there's the opposite side of the argument where you should do it because then you create accountability. You've said you've gone and posted everything on social media about the challenges that you've had. So you obviously believe that that is freeing and you you walk and talk it you've got the experience do you know that that's the case it helps but what do you say to people who then say oh no like I, I think you should be careful you know put, you know airing all that out on social media for fear of judgment yeah. or whatever yeah absolutely look there is there is certain things that you probably can't say um and maybe sometimes i need a better filter no, but I think it's great. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm saying because yeah. I'm like that too. I like putting everything out there. Everyone knows my yeah. personal stuff. Yeah, the I I look at it that I wanted to be able to share, to be able to help inspire others, to help others, especially young people, to realise that they can achieve whatever they want, um, and it's okay. You know, it's okay. Oh, gone on there and, and cried. I've I've done all sorts of stuff on social media. It's been crazy, and I've had friends of 
I've rung in, in an emotional state, um, wanting to share. I suppose, yeah, the, the accountability, the sharing, all the stuff. I don't believe that. Um, it depends what you're going to. Uh, I remember a few years ago, a guy got ridiculed when he had a, you know, leave Britney, leave Britney alone when she shaved her head. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he, that same guy, and he still has his blog and all his stuff, and he got ridiculed really badly for it. But he was just showing emotion. He, you know, he loves his, he loved Brittany. He thought she was great, and he was just wanting to protect her. Um, don't necessarily think he probably should have done it right there at that moment. Um, it's not necessarily the words he used, but the way and the context he used them. You know, he was really emotional. If he'd have probably gone back in about an hour or so and said. Okay, guys, I think it's really mean what we've been saying about Brittany. She's going through a tough time. Let's just, you know, give her a break and give her some space rather than leave Brittany alone, you know. That's sort of it. Really, like the, the tone. We can talk about so many different things and I can say one word ten different ways and it be judged ten different ways because of the tone in which I've said it. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that there is a wrong or right thing to post. I don't think there is a wrong or right thing to say. I think um, it's choosing the time and the tone to say it. And I think a lot of that comes down to just gut feeling too. Yeah. Just feels yeah, right absolutely. or doesn't feel right. Yeah, for sure, mate, for sure. And, you, you know, we've had I oh so many times I get people and I have kids after I've been to talks, I will know something's up. Um, you see a child, um, you know, a young teenager might linger just after a presentation and I know that that's my signal to go over and reach out to that, that young person. Um, they're not quite brave enough to make that step and I'll go over and I'll just say, hey, how you going and introduce myself and we'll have a quick chat and by the end of it, you know, I've, I've got the she's got my card or she's got my card and they're going to call me next week and just sort of talk about things. Um, I had a young guy who uh, recently we did some stuff with the armed forces that came out to our resort and had a bit of a chat with us. He rang me, had a chat, was having a bad day. Um, I thought that was amazing. He, he said, I just didn't know who else to talk to because um, I don't think anyone else understands, but I know you do. So... If anything, and, and you know, when and that's because of what I've been saying. So, if people say, "Yeah, it's wrong," well, geez, if that's wrong for me to say that on social media or to be open and honest and have others reach out to me for help, well, geez, I don't, know. <laughs> I, I don't really understand why that's wrong. Yeah, no, that's great. I think it's so important to be able to for you to continue sharing like that because. I, you know, people talk about on oh, mental health rates, are, you know, illnesses are going up, um, and I think that the best way to overcome that, and the reason why they are going up, is because less and less people, or more and more people, have less and less people to feel like they can talk to about it, and so, like, you know, that young guy with the army, for example, or the students, you know, they might be able to speak to their parents or their cousin or their brother or sister or whoever it might be but they might not feel comfortable speaking to them, but, 
you know, by you going out and just spreading the message and all the other people out there that go and, you know, who are mental health advocates, the more people that do it, the better, I think. And the more that the conversation is out there publicly to say it's okay and you can talk to people, then there's more people for people to speak to. And so they're not left with, you know, only the choice of their parents or their siblings, which are great. You know, it's so good if you can have that. But if you can have other people as well who are a bit more neutral or who people can, for whatever reason, they just connect with them, you know, yeah. I think it's important. It's, I think it's normalising it. Um, when people say that about, you know, you, you said earlier about why it seems to be more prevalent, I think it's just because, you know, look, society, we have a lot more things in our society that create pressure on us now and the weight of expectation or perceived expectation on us. So being able to sort of, dilute that is really difficult for people and yeah there's lots of stress in life now you know there was freedom of life um a long time ago the innocence of you know how often do you see and hear people talk about when i was a kid we used to run up and down the street and play in the mud and do all that stuff it doesn't happen now life has changed Uh, modern society has changed we we don't have those freedoms with that that suffocates us and that sort of puts weight on us and it does it creates anxiousness nervousness um depressive thoughts all those type of things so we have to normalize it we have to make people feel like they're okay to talk and share um you know we uh, gus wallen did a, a a whole big thing on um uh, mental health about being put in a, what they call a man box you know women have a really great support group they will talk about things that men would never, ever dream of sharing. Um, you know, blokes will go, oh, we'll go down to the pub and have a beer and we'll have a talk. They don't even talk about what's troubling them. They just sit there and talk crap. Um, whereas a women's group, they'll get together and they will share really intimate thoughts or how they feel. They'll cry. Um, you will not see two mates sit there and catch up for a coffee and um, be very open and sharing because it's just that we're putting the man box of how we're supposed to behave and act as men, mm. um, which I don't necessarily think's right. Yeah, I'm actually before we um, jumped onto this call, I started uh, writing my blog for next week, and it was it is on um, how to save your relationship. And Holly and I had a really tough year this year, and it got to a point where she told me she wanted to break up and. That's one of the times when mental illness can um, can strike, you know, a big drastic change in life circumstances and it was really scary and um, I, I went through a pretty bad patch um, with that. But what I'm, yeah, I started writing this blog and I, it's actually what I've got out on paper so far, which is it's nearly done, it's 95% done, it was actually really freeing. And what I said in it is that I have probably about five or six really good mates who I can go to for anything. And I started off by, you know, going to one of them and we actually went to the pub and yep. we kind of just talked crap a little bit and we didn't really didn't really solve any issues. We It was just good to get it off my chest. But then the other friend that I went to, um, you know, the first thing he said to me was, well, do you want to still be with her? Do you want to make it work? And I, it was just, you know straight away I was instantly like yes yes of course I do and he goes okay well that's the first step and I thought that was really important but then Mm. we then entered into a conversation um, where he sort of listened but he also gave me 
some advice of what he thought you know I actually like that some people say oh don't give him what you think you know just listen but I thought it was good just to get his opinion yeah, I can take it on or I can you know leave it whatever it's up to me but um, we actually had a really open and honest conversation and I just told him how shitty I was feeling and how much it, life sucked at that time and um, that mm. was so so important and so it's so much better I think going to the pub is good but you know in terms of just having a conversation but there's so many things you can do better and um, going mm. and sitting down and having that real open and frank conversation with a mate yeah. is so much more effective I look there yeah, two weeks ago I had a um was it two weeks? Maybe two and a half weeks. Um, I had a, a fairly bad anxiety attack. And I was really overwhelmed. Um, I'd gone home. I rang my three best mates, um, and I said, "Oh, I just need to, you know, I was just feeling emotional. Just need to hear your voice." And they just reassuring me, calming me down. I said, "Look, man, it's all right. We're here for you. You know, you got your family. You know, we're here." Um, and it was just an overwhelming thing. And this is all about, you know, sale of business and being able to go back home and all types of stuff that was sort of, you know, um, coming in at multiple sides and angles at me. And um, what happened was when my wife got home, I said, look, can we just get out of here? So we, we went for a walk. We walked down to the, um, the trailer boat club um, and the ski club and just walked on the foreshore there. It was so nice. Just to, We just walked, talked, picked up shells, um, talked about what was troubling me, what the emotion was. I need a whole heap of, um, not control, but I need direction for what I'm doing and I need um, a, a reason and I need a path. I can't just wander aimlessly. And part of that was, you know, there's contracts and things all, all more signed and I was freaking out about whether it was going to happen or not and the uncertainty and the unknown and just talking about it gave me some clarity and I was able to work, work through the process. But it was the importance of being able to have someone else that was willing to talk to me and share, but also give their opinion, unbiased, you know, this is how I feel about it. Um, and it, it, it seems to work every time when you can f op openly talk and freely talk about anything. Mm. So how do you, prov like, how do you set yourself up so that if a mental illness does strike or, you know, all these things, circumstances which are really stressful all happen at the one time that you can protect yourself? Because you talked about your mates and having your mates there to speak to. You also talked about being able to go home um, to your wife and also have your wife be, you know, open and responsive to what you're feeling and, and yep. then taking you for a walk. How do you protect yourself ahead of time? I had like how do I keep like if before I get to that point and, and whilst well, that's all happening. Yeah, so just uh, say someone else who's out there who is um, who hasn't had a who hasn't had depression or anxiety, you okay. know, or like yep. th they're feeling fine. They've had no issues, and you know what I'm sort of suggesting is that they get their stuff, get their kind of mental health kit ready ahead of time, which might be getting their mates, you know. Um, kind of word it up or just even start sure. talking to their mates about this sort, sort of thing sure I think that conversations are really important being able to take part in or be open to you know other things around them um, I suppose for me you know it was probably uh, a completely different set of circumstances but for, for those who've never really gone through it it would be you know 
having a, a an open mind, I think, to accept that things definitely can change quickly or may not be the same for you or I or them. Um, if they are to sort of be singular-minded and, and keep going along in the rut that they're in, um, that there is there is a better thing ahead of them. Changing someone's mindset, because there's, as you know, there's two different mindsets. There's a growth mindset and um, the, the, the other, you know, being a fixed mindset that's, you know, very structured and very, very uh, analy- analytical. So we've got to be either one of those and you can't just change overnight, but you've got to be, I suppose, open to things, um, being able to have... Um, yeah, I suppose a very open, honest conversation to say, this is something that I think we should talk about. How do you guys feel about it? You know, if, if it's a couple of mates, do you reckon you'd be open to talking about it or having a discussion about mental health? What's your thoughts? Starting a conversation on likes of, you know, well, what do you think of that charity, you know, like Living or there's some guys up here from A Chance for Change. There's all sorts of groups. Um going out and doing a bit of volunteering, you know, sort of looking at others in a light that, okay, well, what's your circumstance? You know, that um, don't sweat the small stuff type of mindset that, yeah, look, okay, he's in a rush. The guy cut me off in traffic. Um, rather than go up and chase him and abuse him, look, mate, I'm, you know, hope you, you might be running late for work. Drive safe. Please don't have a crash. Think of it in a different mindset or put it in a different positive spin can change things dramatically. Mm. So just to sort of start wrapping up, um, two parts to this. If someone is feeling like they're in this position personally, um, where things are just getting too much, what do you suggest they do? And secondly, if someone feels like or thinks that someone they know is in that position, what should they do? Okay, so if if you're feeling... um, uh, So there's a number of different things and they... Um, not any one singular thing. It's from a sustained period of time. So say, let's go, um, feeling things haven't changed or aren't right. You're not enjoying them or wanting to be involved in things. Your, your appetite and your sleeping patterns are changing. You're feeling irritated easily. And it's all happening and it's been happening for, for weeks at a time. Um, either A, if you, you know, for a younger person, talk to your parents, go to a GP, um, and be open and honest. Be truthful to, to, to your GP. They're not going to judge you. Um, you just like to say, you know, I'd like to have a talk about a mental health plan. Um, if you're in crisis mode, you think there's no way out, just jump on the phone. You ring places like Lifeline, Headspace, uh, Men's Healthline. There is a thing called the Suicide Callback Service where you can call them, tell them what your problems are. They will actually ring you back. Um, and check on you um, to make sure that you're doing okay. There's so many groups out there for us to contact, to be able to support. Um, you know, whilst the charity I work for, Living, we um, we help educate and give people signals and, so- and symptoms about what they might go through, we then send them off to the professionals. We're not medical health professionals, but we give them the ability to the services and, and say these are the local services you can go and contact. Um, but, yeah, Lifeline, Headspace and those sort of places, they're really important for people to be able to feel comfortable to reach out to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So is there anything else that you need to say or would like to say to feel like um, this episode is complete? 
Um, oh, look, man, I think for people just to understand that it's okay, you know. We're, we're all different. We all have our have our moments where we need um, a little bit of support. Um, the as the you know the living mantra that it's it ain't weak to speak. Um, everyone's out there. If you if you're feeling down or low, um, have a check out the the living website. Um, it's www.living.org. That's L-I-V-I-N. Um, and I have a I actually have a Facebook page called Discovering the Best You. Um, and on there, it's got a, a whole heap of like the, the 52-week journey, and it's got all the videos and different little blogs on there. And I talk about things like, you know, my emotional cup um, of how I, when all the emotion comes in on it, and how I have to get it out. And um, yeah, look, just just to know that there's others out there that you only have to ask for help, and it will come. You'll be surprised as though how many people will support you, as to who will push you down. Um, I I was absolutely gobsmacked when I when I first you know started talking about my problems and sharing my story. I thought people would push me away, but I actually got so many more people brought me in. It was like this big collective group hug. It was it was amazing. Um, it shocked me. So I just encourage people to reach out and ask for help if if they're feeling a bit low. Yeah. So that that discovering the best you uh, blog. What's the actual specific web address? Is that .com.au? Um, it's just my Facebook page. So, it's yeah, it's just called Discovering the Best You yep. um, uh, on Facebook. And it's, um, yeah, it's a page just based around all about my journey, uh, my own mental health, um, what I've done, different things, you know, working out, diet. There's some food tips in there. I share all sorts of little bits and pieces um, stuff about healthy eating or, you know, anything and everything that I've sort of encountered is on there. Mm. And we'll link that up in the show notes along with the org website and any other ways that you let me know you would like people to connect with you if there's any sure. any other way. So yeah. I just want to acknowledge you, Alistair, for the work that you've done um, you had an experience which a lot of people wouldn't have got through and, um, you know, true to your own strength and the strength of the people around you, you got through that and um, are now, you've used it as a, as a positive, it seems to me, and you're passing that message on to other people and helping them. And who knows how many countless people you may have stopped from committing suicide or helping them to overcome, you know, some challenges that they were facing in their life. So... You know, thank you for that. No, no, my pleasure, man. And that's every day is a new day. It's it's a good it's a good feeling. Sometimes we all suffer and we all have those down moments, but those you know moments like this. Um, and thank you very much. It's it's quite nice to, to get those remarks. They give yeah. It's um, as Bette Midler, the old uh, her song "Wind Beneath My Wings." That gives me that gives me my lift whenever I have those type of things happen. Yeah. So we always finish these episodes with a 10 in 10, so 10 yep. questions. Uh, the last one's always the same. I'm really interested in hearing what it is for you. Um, but the first nine are all related to just some dot points which I've taken down as you've been talking. So are you sure. keen to get into that? Let's do it. Just give me your first word, response, whatever it might be that comes to mind. So number one, what does living mean to you? Family and friends. Number two, the importance of a life coach. 
Oh, critical. Number three, talking to kids. Oh, yeah, one of the most important things we can do in our life. They are our future. Number four, your wife. Amazing human. Number five, role models. Can't have enough of them. Six, drug education in schools. Critical again. Seven, the power of having alcohol in your office. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's motivating, mate. Absolutely <laughs> motivating. Number eight, um, the importance of looking after yourself in all its forms. Uh, it can never be underestimated how important what we put in is what comes out of us. So, yeah, putting it in, putting in good stuff gets good stuff out. Oh, well, that leads us into number nine, which is food. Our gut, the gut health is so important, mate. It, yeah, I eat well um, and, yeah, fuel yourself for the, for, the, uh, for the journey. I've added an extra one here, but I added this after because I thought it was important when you said it, and it's mindfulness. Yeah, it's, it's uh, um, underestimated. And last of all, the question which everyone gets, if you could go back in time, and I'm really interested to hear this for, for you, if you could go back in time or forward in time, which would you choose and why? You can't, I have to put a caveat on this because everyone says, if I go forward in time, can I come back? So yes, you can go back or forward in time and you can come <laughs> back to where you are right now. Where would you go to and why? Uh I would go. I would go back. Jeez, um, it's really interesting because you know, whilst I want to go back and change what I did and 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 start things fresh, I wouldn't be where I am now and saving people if I didn't have that experience. So you know what? I'd like to go forward. I'd love to go to the future and see what change I've been able to do since. I've had all those things happen. I want to give you a little bit on this one because this one I feel like is really, really interesting for you. If you could go forward in time, so let's say you can do both, you can go forward in time, to what point would you go to and what would you do? Who would you see? What would be happening? I just want to see what my, how my kids are. I want to see their life. I want to see um, who they become. Mm. Even just talk- <laughs> It's amazing. Even just talking about it, it makes me feel really emotional. I get very um, – people with – in my state, we, we do get over emotional. Um, yeah, they mean the world to me. I want to see what they, how, what sort of human they become. Very, very powerful way to end. Alistair Mitchell, thank you so much. Thanks, Jacob. Are you frustrated that no matter how much you try, no matter how good you plan to eat, no matter how much you intend to exercise, you just can't seem to stay on track with your health and fitness goals? Do you feel like your best of intentions to have more energy and feel better about yourself? results in having even less energy and feeling down? What if there was something you were missing? What if eating healthy was actually enjoyable? What if you looked forward to exercise? What if moving more could actually be really easy? I've put together a free ebook just for you, detailing the strategies for having more energy and feeling better about yourself. And I want to give it to you absolutely free. To get instant access absolutely free, simply visit jacobandre.com. That's J-A-C-O-B. A-N-D-R-E-A-E dot com.